Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Oh my goodness, there is so much going on that I want to get to. I mean, there's this giant hurricane, Hurricane Michael, bearing down on the Florida Panhandle. This is climate change on steroids. ExxonMobil, who knew back in the 1980s, maybe the 1970s, that this exact scenario or something very close to it would play out if they and their compatriots in the fossil fuel industry continued to market and promote the use of fossil fuels and we all continue to burn them. They knew this was coming. And in fact, for a few years in the 80s, they tried to do something about it. And then they got shut down, or at least then they had a strategy change. And then Mr. Tillerson steered the ship of state. Well, actually, uh, about a decade ago, Rex Tillerson, when he was CEO of ExxonMobil, said, yeah, we're concerned about the climate. We're in favor of a carbon tax. But were they really? No lobbying effort, no PR effort. No, it was just a statement to take the sting out of things. Well, now we've got the situation where, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm going to present a choice to you. Here we have the situation where the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has come out and explicitly said that we basically have 10 to 12 years left to cut our carbon usage by about half and take our electricity use. Well, here's the actual numbers. Let me just give it to you. Greenhouse gases need to be cut in half by 2013 from 2010 levels. The renewable energy must go from 20% of our electricity mix worldwide to 67%. And the use of coal needs to be phased out. The alternative, they say, is catastrophe. Widespread drought, famine, wildfires, conflict over food, wars over land, wars over fresh water, massive die-off of coral reefs leading to massive die-off of fish in the oceans all around the world. This was written by 91 scientists from 40 countries. And it was in response, actually, this was an unusual uh, report. It was in response to some small island nations that are concerned about losing their existence to climate change. And they said, yep, your, your concerns are valid. So ExxonMobil now has just given a million dollars. Actually, they're paying it out over a two-year period. A million dollars is like, you know, eight seconds worth of revenue for ExxonMobil or something like that. But, you know, they're giving a half million this year and a half million next year to this group, Americans for Carbon Dividends, to support a $40 a ton carbon tax that 
would reduce the use of carbon in the United States. Now, I don't think $40 a ton is anything close to what's appropriate. I think the actual cost is probably on the order of $1,000 a ton right now, given how bad things are. Many organizations over the years have recommended anywhere from $80 to $300 a ton. But ExxonMobil's willing to do this. They're willing to go along with $40 a ton. But there's a huge caveat. And that huge caveat is that they are saying very clearly and very explicitly that they will do this and they will support this if we give them a waiver of liability. We are a small country population-wise. We're only 340 million people, I believe. And yet we are the first or second largest emitter of carbon on Earth. We produce about as much carbon as China does with 1.2 billion people or India with over a billion people. So every American is producing radically more carbon than every citizen of India or China or frankly Europe. And so, you know, there's a lot we can do, but in the meantime, what's the Trump administration doing? They're just blowing all this stuff up. Trump repealing President Obama's efforts. The question, I think, what do we do about this? And I think the United States actually is at the forefront of this because we're such big producers of carbon and we have the technology to do something about it. On the line with us is our old friend Greg Palast, the investigative reporter, the author and uh, producer of The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, which you can find over on Amazon right now, the, the movie you can watch it there, author of a book of the same title. So what's the latest on the vast ballot purge that the Republican Party is doing across the country? Everybody's been looking at Georgia in part, in large part, I think, because of your reporting, you know, half a million or more people purged off the vote by Brian Kemp, who is now running for governor. He's the secretary of state. But Indiana? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you because it was on the Hartman program that we announced uh, that we, uh, through a lawsuit, I was able to put up the names of all half million people purged by Brian Kemp, secretary of state who not coincidentally is also running for uh, governor. Um, I should say yesterday alone, several thousand people went to our site, over 100,000 people went to our website, uh, tens of thousands re-registered, finding themselves purged. We got thank you notes from 1,900 people yesterday wow. saving their vote, and uh, calls were being made, so it was thousands from this effort. Well, but, and it got a huge splash uh, nationwide. Um, again, thanks for kicking this off. The NAACP, Jesse Jackson flew down. I mean, it was big. But, you know, I got a call from the attorneys this morning. 53,000 names were held up and not added that people re-registered or registered, held up, not added to the voter rolls. A new fight. They're just saying, uh, Is this still have, in Georgia uh, you're talking about? Witches. Which Georgia is the one that's not in America, I guess, because, you know, in America, you're supposed to be able to vote. Right. So, so Brian Kemp, he's still Secretary of State, even though he's running for governor. He's keeping 53,000 people in Georgia who just registered to vote from voting in this election because what? They, they don't have time to process uh, they have them? To, they say they have to confirm their addresses, et cetera. See, that's why I tell people register online. They will confirm you immediately. Those who didn't listen to us, Tom, and went to paper registration forms, uh, it's going to be a battle now. But we did register tens of thousands literally yesterday because mm. of this campaign. But with the national coverage of that Georgia effort, uh, what uh, has not come out in the news yet um, is, is just another uh, 400 
469,000 voters purged in Indiana. They just gave us that list. We just put it up on gregpalace.com. Unfortunately, their uh, re-registration deadline passed last night. Some people got the news at the last minute. But here's the deal. Uh, our um, computer experts went through the list and said, wait a minute. We have 28,000 people here that the state marked as having been removed by uh, our friend Chris Kobach's interstate cross-check. The problem is that in Indiana, unlike Georgia, in Indiana, they have a federal court order. The NAACP League of Women Voters got a federal court order that Indiana could not use the cross-check list to remove voters, and there were 28,000. And that's supposedly these are people who moved out of state. So we actually checked uh, with the post office. We have a special contract with the post office and with uh, 200 private databases. We can confirm that at least 20,000 of those people who were removed in violation of a federal court order, at least 20,000, and we have each of their names, um, were removed in violation of the law and that they are still living at their registration addresses in Indiana. They've been given no notice that they are purged. Please, people, um, uh, show up at the polls, bring ID, and uh, we're just going to have to fight this one out. I'll be speaking to the lawyers as soon as I get off the phone. But they will be given prov provisional ballots that won't be counted. Uh, if the only thing you can do is fill out a provisional ballot, do it. But uh, we're going to have to fight to get them counted because they, uh, they definitely will not be counted unless we can get another court order saying this violation of a court order um, will not stand. Right. This is remarkable. You know, you know, the power of one person's story, Greg, is so is so great. Yeah, like with the, the whole, you know, these kids who are being uh, detained, you know, the children that the, the Trump administration is putting in concentration camps right now. This one two year old girl who was in court in New York earlier this week, um, her story, her picture, suddenly everybody's like, oh, my God, one two year old, you know, and, and it's literally 14,000 children. You've got 20,000 voters there in Indiana who you can confirm are actual voters who actually live where they live, who are registered to vote. I'm guessing the majority of them are probably in cities or areas that are predominantly black or Hispanic. That's um, right, the northern tier in Gary, Indiana. Right. Is it possible to find one of them who is an incredibly, you know, all-American, uh, uh, you know, a, a veteran, uh, you know, it's a, yeah, well, actually, we did. We found many, because we, we asked people, if 1,900 people responded to our request, if you are purged, can you contact us? Uh, you know, most people do not want to go on camera or have their stories public, but I want to tell you, uh, I'm not going to use his last name, but in Savannah, uh, there's uh, a, uh, an African-American gentleman named Juan. He's an Af, he's a war, he's a veteran. He served in Afghanistan. I have pictures of him in uniform and with his helmet on in Afghanistan. And he was shocked. He spoke to me and he said, I served in the military. I was in Illinois. I uh, came back. I voted for uh, Obama in 2008 and 12. And here I am purged. The only conceivable reason is the cross-check list. Uh, they marked so they removed his vote. Now, he did re-register in time. This is, you know, an American war veteran. And right. the head of the NAACP was shocked that they would take away the rights of this war veteran, Dewan. I can't give his last name right. without his permission. But that's, that's my point, is the power of story yeah. is insane. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. And, well, I have and to say that the head of the NAACP, we looked up his name, and uh, he, was, uh, he hadn't been removed, but 
three of his relatives uh, were uh, purged from the voter rolls. The NAACP. Wow. You know, it's, and this is Brian Kemp. Now, I should mention, by the way, that Kemp, and if you go to gregpalace.com and you're in Georgia, you're in Indiana, even if you've now passed the deadline yesterday to re-register, take a look, see what the story is, contact me. We're going to take steps to try to get people back on, to reopen registration, to just, frankly, put people back on. Kemp has already lost two suits against um, one of our uh, plaintiffs, Stacey uh, Hopkins, uh, and who got 139,000 people returned to the voter rolls because uh, with Kemp, and then we just had another 40,000 return. Now, she takes off gobs of people, gets caught, and says, okay, you got me. But now, as the election gets near, He's shutting things down. He's blocking the adding the names of people who filled out registration forms. And I should say, he's the third Secretary of State in Georgia's recent history to run for office, and the only one who has not taken it, resigned from office. So he's determining who gets to vote, where they get to vote. This is a guy who's been closing polling stations around the state. Which ballots get counted? Who gets provisional ballots? Whose absentee ballots get counted or rejected? He's counting his own ballots. The other two secretaries of state resigned when they ran for governor. Not him, because he knows he's running against Stacey Abrams, who could be the first African-American governor in U.S. history, and he's losing. It's close, but he's losing, and the only way he can win is by making sure that Stacey Abrams' voters don't get to cast their ballots. Yeah. Yeah, and this is this has happened. This has been happening all over the country now uh, that we know of. I mean, you know, the, the 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 high water point of this in terms of publicity was when Jeb Bush in 2000 purged uh, what close to 80 or 90 thousand African Americans off the rolls in Florida. You you're the guy who yeah. you know was doing the work for BBC who exposed this. Yeah, I mean, we got the list of the purged voters, and they're and the, right next to their names uh, are where they're racist. So it's all said B L A B L A for black. Hmm. And they were accused of being felons. Not one, and I repeat, not one was an illegal felon voter. Not one. And that's what elected George Bush. You know what? I, How many people was that? astonishing to me. How many people it was, was that? 94,000 on the list. We, we figured something like uh, 58,000 were actually purged, were actually blocked from voting. Others didn't vote or wow. were able to re-register. The other, but here I am. We're 18 years later, Tom. Yeah. And we're still talking about purges of African-American and Hispanic and Asian voters and now young voters they're going after. They're just, the only thing that's different now is that it's wider, it's bigger. It's in 26 states where we've uh, threatened federal action to get the information. Um, you know, and, and this is why we're getting the red shift. This is why the, the exit polls show Democrats are winning because people come out and say, yeah, I voted for a Democrat. They gave me a provisional ballot, but I voted for a Democrat. And so they write yeah, that down as a... never asked, by the way. Did you get a, a ballot ballot or did you get a provisional ballot? Because right. people don't really even know the difference. They think that their vote counted, and there's a good chance it didn't. If you were blocked by Kemp, uh, if you've been on this purge list that we have, same in Indiana. Um, sad stuff, man. And But we're fighting it. Go to gregpalace.com. See if your name's there. There you go. If you're in Indiana, if you're in Georgia, you can see the actual purge list, and you can see if your name is on it. And, uh, you know... And, 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 and tell everybody you know to get over to gregpalace.com and check this out. Greg, thanks so much again for the great work you're doing and for coming on our show. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online 
And because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from Medea Benjamin's new book, Kingdom of the Unjust, Behind the U.S.-Saudi Connection. And this is from the introduction. Through the women-led peace organization Code Pink, which I co-founded with Jody Evans after the 9-11 attacks, I have spent much of the last decade standing up against U.S. military intervention in the Middle East and supporting local democracy activists. I traveled many times to the region, listening to human rights activists, marching with them in the streets, dodging tear gas and bullets, and getting beaten up and deported by government thugs. I have seen firsthand the deadly effects of U.S. foreign policies. The 2003 U.S. invasion of Iraq destroyed the lives of millions, including many of my dear friends, and unleashed the sectarian hatred that later gave birth to the Islamic State. I recall a conversation with my Iraqi colleague Yanar Mohammed, daughter of a Shiite father and a Sunni mother, and founder of the Organization of Women's Freedom in Iraq. When I asked her what was the most notable legacy of the U.S. invasion of her country, she gave the chilling response, we... Sunnis and Shia learned to hate each other. In another part of the Middle East, U.S. military support for Israel has wreaked havoc on the lives of Palestinians and aroused the ire of people throughout the region. Continuous U.S. military interventions, drone warfare in Yemen, to overthrowing Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, to funneling an endless stream of weapons into the region, have unleashed new levels of violence. But the United States is not the only nation whose massive footprint has been trampling on the lives of people in the Middle East. The other nation is Saudi Arabia, an oppressive monarchy that denies human rights to its own people and exports extremism around the world. It also happens to be the closest U.S. ally in the Arab world. During the 1980s and 1990s, I met intolerant and violent young men in Pakistan and Afghanistan who were trained to hate Westerners in Saudi schools. In 2001, I saw my own nation convulsed by an attack on September 11th that was perpetrated mostly by Saudis. Not hard to connect the dots behind the spread of the Saudi intolerant ideology of Wahhabism, the creation of Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, and the attacks in New York, Paris, Brussels, and San Bernardino. You can also connect the dots between Saudi Arabia and the failure of some of the historic uprisings associated with the Arab Spring since the Saudi monarchy did not want calls for democracy to threaten its own grip on power. I was in Bahrain after Saudi tanks crushed the inspiring grassroots encampment in Pearl Square, where tens of thousands had gathered day after day to demand democracy. I will never forget the excitement of being in Tahrir Square during the Egyptian Revolution and watching a gasp, uh, gasped as a military coup backed by the Saudis put some 40,000 activists behind bars. In Yemen, the Saudis took a direct military role in that nation's internal conflict with a ruthless bombing campaign. 
When I travel overseas, people often ask me why Saudi Arabia, a country that is so repressive internally and overseas, is such a close ally to the United States. Iranian friends want to know why the U.S. government is so outspoken about human rights violations in Iran, but silent about the worst abuses in the Saudi kingdom. Yemenis ask why my government supplies weapons to the very nation, Saudi Arabia, that bombed their schools and hospitals. Saudi women ask why the United States, which professes great democratic values, props up a regime that treats women as second-class citizens. The easy answer is oil, weapon sales, and other business interests. Oil has formed the basis for U.S.-Saudi ties. The kingdom has become the largest purchaser of American weapons in the world, and hundreds of billions of Saudi petrodollars help shore up the U.S. economy. But there's another reason perhaps more critical than any of the others. The American people have not demanded an end to this dysfunctional, toxic relationship. Why? In part, because the American people know so little about it. Even American parts of a peace movement know virtually nothing about the kingdom. The Saudi press is muzzled, foreign journalists are strictly monitored, and only tourists visiting for religious purposes are allowed into the country. Add to that a Saudi lobby that lines the pockets of U.S. think tanks, such as the Middle East Institute, Ivy League universities. As we delve into the inner workings of this dystopian regime, don't mistake criticism of Saudi Arabia for Islamophobia. This book is not a critique of Islam, but a critique of three intertwining factors that have shaped the Saudi nation. The extremist interpretation of Sunni Islam, known as Wahhabism, the appropriation of the Saudi state by one family, and Western support for this dynasty. Criticizing Saudi Arabia should not be equated with support for Saudi's nemesis, uh, Iran. The Iranian government is guilty of some of the same abuses as the Saudis. Kingdom of the Unjust. Welcome back. I want to get into what's going on with uh, Saudi Arabia and Mr. Khashoggi and all that sort of thing. Do we have our, our guest on the line? We do. Cool. Is that... Uh... Okay, this is Taki Wheeland with Code Pink, and we are in front of the Saudi embassy. We've just had a rousing and very moving uh, protest here uh, regarding, of course, Jamal, the uh, journalist who... We don't know his fate. Uh, it looks very bad, but... Uh, I haven't seen so many press in a very long time. So I think this is really speaking to them because he, of course, was this renowned journalist. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, so there were about 50 of us here uh, from different groups, including CARE. It's a tragic event, and we're waiting. We're, we want our president and we want our Congress to respond. We want our Congress to put some pressure on the president of the United States to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, amen. The U.S. is, a, is the best uh, ally that Saudi Arabia has. So how about using that influence and acting on it? So uh, I remember when Jared Kushner went over to Saudi Arabia and spent a couple of days there, three days I think it was, one night in particular he sat up with Mohammed bin Salman, the, the crown prince, the guy who's running the country now. And apparently they stayed up until the wee hours of the night, a couple of 30-year-olds just bonding over, you know, what, autocracy or whatever. And then That's suddenly, right. right after that, this massive crackdown begins. People started vanishing. People started getting killed. There's this rumor that Kushner actually shared intelligence with Salman, with MBS, as to who the dissidents were so that he could go after them. And this is sort of like, you know, when Mike Flynn was seen removing classified material 
And then you know, a few days later, some Russian diplomat falls out of a four-story window. I mean, to what extent is this the logical consequence of this kind of takeover in the kingdom? I, I think it's a logical consequence. I think what they're doing is they're really flexing the muscle, saying, we dare you to hold us accountable. And I think that's where we need to take that there and say, yes, absolutely, even though you are the royal kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And you control a lot of our oil. You do. Yeah. But you also, they also have this unholy alliance around the, the weapons sales. Yeah. It's really a marriage made in hell. And I think, finally, we have an opportunity for people across the, the spectrum to hold our government accountable. So what's the specific uh, call to action here? Well, first of all, we're going to take the same petitions that we we delivered to the the ambassador here at the the embassy of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We're taking the same petitions to our State Department. And then we'll be going to our senators and congresspeople to demand that they take action, that they follow through and investigate just what's been happening and get to the bottom of this and hold those who are responsible accountable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Thank you very much for the update. And, uh, you know, on we go. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Yeah, good talking with you. Back to picking up your phone calls. Robin in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, uh, Robin, you're on the air. Hi, Tom. I wanted to ask a question for us Georgia voters because our we have an electronic system. Mm-hmm. So is it wiser to vote by mail, or do we trust the voter machines when we go to the ballot box? That's a tough question. Even if you vote by mail, it's going to be scanned by a machine that's owned by the same companies that own the voting machines. Um, gotcha. I've heard that the mail-in votes uh, tend to be counted later um, and are uh, okay. potentially more subject to a challenge. So I would probably show up and vote. Uh, if okay. I li- if I lived in Georgia, and I did live in Georgia for 13 years, and and always voted okay. in person, so thank you, thank Robin. You. Good talking with you, Mark in Charlottesville, Virginia. Hi, Tom. You started talking about Republican messaging and calling uh, opposition to their policies uh, a mob. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that the Democrats could focus on a counter message and really attack that idea by focusing on we the people. You know, the idea that we expect the Republicans as current administration to see we the people as a mob and just come right back at them. And they can frame a lot of messages around that. We the people have the right to affordable health care that does not exclude those with existing conditions. We the people do not want our children and grandchildren to be burdened with an exploding debt because of tax cuts to the rich. We the people have the right to clean and healthy environment. The list could go on and on and just go right back at them and challenge that idea because as you were pointing out, it's really anathema to what American democracy is really all about. Yeah. And there's a lot more diversity in the Democratic Party. I'm not talking about racial or gender diversity. I'm talking about political opinion or willingness to take money from corporations kind of diversity. There's a lot more of that in the Democratic Party than there is in the Republican Party. The Republican Party has now pushed out all of the ethical politicians that they once had. And I don't know if you could call Jeff Flake or Bob Corker ethical, but even the marginally ethical are leaving quickly. On the other hand, the Democratic Party has this whole wide collection of people, so it's much harder to come up with one coherent message that everybody repeats. But I agree that the Democratic Party needs to do it, and I think that you provided some good suggestions there, Mark. Thanks a lot for the call. Albert in uh, Marina del Rey, you wanted to talk about uh, messaging, too. Thanks for watching us on YouTube, Albert. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call, Tom. I'm actually sure. listening on your uh, app. I don't know if oh, people cool. know that you have an app, but I am right. listening on it. But my comment about messaging is I'm not sure that Democrats are actually ready for what they're asking for. And here, let me explain. People like Barack Obama because of his temperate. If you were to get someone, let's just say an angry black woman style, angry black man style, I don't think white America is ready for that. And I would like to hear what other liberal, white liberals have to say about that. I can only speak for myself, but I think you're absolutely right, because there's probably somewhere between 20 and 40 percent of the white population that is explicitly racist and aware of it. Let's say there's maybe 20 percent, 25 percent, and I'm just going on you know, my life experience, who are explicitly racist and will express it. And there's another 20 percent who harbor and know that they harbor racist opinions, but they try to be you know, reasonable. And, and then there's probably another 30 percent of white people who you can evoke racism out of them simply by challenging their white privilege, which they probably never even thought of. But when their white privilege is challenged, suddenly the racism comes out. And those three groups are a majority of white people. So if you were to activate them with the angry black man routine or angry black woman routine, or for that matter, Latino, you know, talking about taking on white privilege, I think it would be a big gift to the Republican Party, and that's why Barack Obama was so careful to be so temperate throughout his presidency. And, and I continually, particularly in this day and age, am blown away by how thoughtful, how much depth this man had, uh, Barack Obama, the incredible, very thin razor edge line that he had to walk, and his wife, and his kids. It's just amazing to me, Albert. But that's my take on it. Make sense? Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. And one way that we could talk about fundamentals, and, and here's a way specifically about health care. If you're a Republican, I ask you, what does the health insurance company do to make you get better? You say nothing. I say all they do is take the money you give them and give it to the insurance company and take a cut. That's right. Or give it to the doctor. Yeah. And take a cut. Yeah. They're just, it's just a skimming operation. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's all health insurance is. Absolutely right. Albert, thank you for the call. And thanks for watching us or thanks for listening to us on the app. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who like so many has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing, and I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. Josephine in Detroit, watching us on Free Speech. Hey, Josephine, what's on your mind? I just wanted to say this. If we can't impeach Kavanaugh, so why are we going out to vote? What's the point? If we can't get anything done against the Republicans, I mean... Well, actually, we can get, Josephine, A, we can get a lot done against the Republicans. We can't impeach Kavanaugh right now and probably will never be able to. Ruth Bader Ginsburg in particular, she's pushing 90 here. Breyer is in his 70s. Justice Thomas is 69, I think, right now. You've got 
a bunch of these people who are going to be replaced, and we need to be getting ready for 2020. We need to be getting uh, Democrats in place. There's a thousand reasons to vote, uh, Josephine. And don't believe that stuff that, that the Republicans are putting on Facebook, pretending to be Democrats. They were doing this in 2016, saying, oh, the Republicans and Democrats are just the same. Hillary Clinton's a corporate, don't vote, don't bother. And, and it's a lie. Your vote does count. It counts a lot. You know, yes, the White House is not on the ballot this year, but the House is, the Senate is, your state races in Michigan are. You've got a bunch of people who are really good candidates. Your gubernatorial candidate in Detroit, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name, and, and his lieutenant governor, Garland, is a friend of mine. These, there are some really important races coming up. So, Josephine, I hope you will please vote in Detroit. Yes, I will. I okay, will. thank you. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, let's see, Zach in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Zach, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Good morning, Tom. Exactly. If we could just get through to these millions of young voters that democracy is a team concept. Everybody's all enthralled with the game, football, baseball, the game, the game. They're all enamored with the game. But the real games are played with rules. You break the rules, you get an instant penalty. Fifteen yards. No, no long court drawn out things. We have got to tell everyone that votes blue that the Republicans are not team players. They're only for team few. Mm. Do we want to be a team of achievers winning our prize yeah. of fairness by playing fair? Or do we want to be a cult of cheaters that win by subverting the rules that protect all of us and moving the goalposts constantly in some tired reality beneficial to the puppeteers and the profiteers exploiting us consumers. We've got to speak up, Tom. You know, just one last thing. Socialism. The, the root of the word social is socius. It comes from the Greek companion. Hmm. There's nothing... As in association. It's hmm. just companion, socius. Hmm. The Greek yeah. companion. There's nothing inherently wrong or negative about the word social. Yeah. We yeah. are all companions in this big America. There was, the there was somebody who posted a thing over on, I, I think it was on DU, who said that they were in a, uh, in a medical office. And there was a bunch of people sitting around who were all retired. And one of them started complaining about the damn liberals. And this person stood up and said, you know, you can thank those damn liberals for your Social Security and the Medicare that you're using to pay for this doctor visit. <laughs> Shut them right down. Zach, amen. Well said. Fritz in Palm Desert, California. Hey, Fritz, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I would like to uh, give the Democrats a little advice on their messaging. I think they should steal a page from the Republicans and appeal to everybody's patriotism. You do that by telling everybody if injustice happens to one, it's basically happening to us all. Go ahead. And then, then after that... Which is a value, by the way, that we as a country uh, maybe didn't hold you know, throughout our history, but certainly held, held up and praised as a value. So that's something that should resonate really well. Yeah, and it's something we have espoused. Right. And I think we should call the GOP the group of poltroons, as they are craven cowards. They send others to the war that they start. And finally, and my, my favorite thing, is when they call it the Democrat Party, we should call it the Relic Party. After all, if they're going to truncate Democrat, yeah. uh, Democratic to Democrat, we can truncate Republican to Relic. And it's actually pretty uh, descriptive. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was fonder of Republican, but I, you know, I like that. Good one, Fritz. Thanks a lot for the call. Cheryl in Mount Pulaski, Illinois. Hey, Cheryl, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Well, you alluded to what I was going to say earlier. Usually, there's a turnaround before they start to slash a woman. At first, she was credible, and then she was mixed up, and then she was, and now... Now Trump, is, now Trump is calling her evil. Victims of assault are mobs. Right. And so usually they've got a longer time for the narrative, but they went from zero to 60 in less than 48 hours, whether it's because we have an election in a month or not. Sure. I'm not sure whether that accelerated the language or not. But my wondering is Maine. And a friend and I were talking, we, I mean, we may go to Maine to, in 2020 with Susan Collins, because how can you say to an assault a victim, yes, you were assaulted, but you couldn't possibly know who assaulted you right. when you have named the person who assaulted you. So I'm just wondering if women will forget in 30 days, since we are considered to be a weak, such weak minds, we can't hold our thoughts, yeah. or whether we really will get out and punish I I'm for the punishing I, myself personally. Yeah. But I think I, Susan Collins is toast. And I think Susan Rice is going to be the next senator from Maine, and she's going to be a Democrat. Um, uh, and, and, and I'm wondering about Joe Manchin. I'm, I think that he's, he's really hurt himself. Heidi Heidkamp has seen just an explosion of enthusiasm for her candidacy among the Democratic base in North Dakota, which absolutely was not expected. Joe Manchin just blew up big time. So I think Susan Collins, this is the end of her political career. On the other hand, I think she's in her 70s, isn't she? Uh, I think she's in her late 70s. I mean, I agree with you, but here's the thing that I'm always afraid of. Quickly. As time goes on and they re, re this all this narrative will change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people forget. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Cheryl. Tony in Miami, Florida. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching hey, Free Speech. Um, got a question for you. If the Democrats take back the House and the Senate in the midterms there, and they do what you said, where they're going to be going after them for investigations and putting out the subpoenas and everything like that. What happens if the Republicans flatly refuse to cooperate with that and destroy all whatever evidence they've got? Yeah, I expect a lot of that sort of thing. I expect a lot of refusal to participate. I expect a lot of court challenges, many of which might go to the Supreme Court, at which point Bart Kavanaugh might say, no, 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 sorry, you can't ask Republicans questions like that. I mean, who knows? And it's hard to predict exactly how it's going to play out, Tony, because so much is going to depend on how the press plays it. And to a certain extent, that's going to depend on how the Republicans and the Democrats both strategizing, how they put it out. I mean, this whole thing about the mob is pretty amazing when you consider, I mean, hundreds of thousands of women in the streets and thousands of women showing up at the Capitol. And you would think that that's a positive thing, right? That's voter engagement. That's citizen outrage. And the Republicans have turned this into, it's the mob, you know, like a lynch mob or a uh, basically negatively characterizing women and Democrats. And it's significant what they are pulling off. It really is. It's almost going to be like a no-loss, lose-lose deal for us if that does happen and it does go to the Supreme Court because it'll be thrown out of court. Could be. 
Could be. And if it is, then I think that what we're going to see over the next couple of years is an increasing and galvanizing response to right-wing decisions on the court. The question is going to be, is John Roberts going to suddenly become a moderate to try to salvage his reputation and the court's reputation? Or is he going to stick with the right-wing ideologue positions that he brought into the court when he first came in? And I don't know the answer to that question. There's a lot of speculation around it. Tony, thanks a lot for the call. Mary in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Mary, what's up? Oh, I just want to let you know, we've got a really nail-biter of a race for Jeff Flake's seat. Mm-hmm. We have Martha McSally, who's in the, she's in the Congress right now. Right. She was one of the first women in combat flying an A-10, and, you know, she's very proud of that. That's all she runs on. That mm-hmm. running, the fact that she has voted with Trump 97% of the time. Right. Who's the Democrat? Kirsten Cinema. Oh, that's she right. Kirsten Cinema. A protester. They keep running this pink tutu ad about her protesting mm-hmm. the war, and only they turn it to she's protesting the military. Right. They have her running a real smeary. Uh, it was an ad showing her running this group that supported Al Qaeda. Oh, geez. See, this is the stuff, this is what I was talking about, is, I mean, this is the stuff that the Republicans are doing. They are smearing and lying. And the Democrats are running ads saying, here's our position, here's what we will do for you. And the Republicans are going, they are evil, look out, beware. I mean, we'll see what, what how it plays out, Mary. Ultimately, we're going to find out on November 6th. I am concerned, though. Tom Hartman here with you. The coming Kavanaugh court doctrine that Democrats are unconstitutional. Actually, the first one just happened. The first Supreme Court essentially vote was upholding Kavanaugh's saying, yeah, it's no problem if polluters pollute. This is the direction it's going. Anyhow, I'm going to save these other stories. Uh, Dan in Granby, Massachusetts, listening on WHMP. Hey, Dan, what's up? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if people really realize the extent of Trump's stupidity. The thing is, is that, okay, we know that, you know, he's been a con all along. He's been a fake. He's a criminal. He's a con artist. He won't show his taxes, all that sort of thing. But what gets me, what the real stupidity about him is the fact that he thought he could do this and run for the highest office in the land and get away with it. I mean, the president of the United States has got to be the most scrutinized person, or one of them in the world. So people are going to be pulling him apart. And this guy's, you know, he's like, he ran when he was 69 years old. I'm surprised that he didn't notice that. It also kind of extends to uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And he's got a huge paper trail of perjury. And yet, there he is. He stepped up to the plate. He wants to be in the Supreme Court. Right. So anyway, that's my thought. Dan, what you're missing is brilliantly laid out in the first 15 minutes or so of, of Michael Moore's new movie, 11-9, Fahrenheit 11-9. Yep. And that is that Donald Trump actually never intended to seriously run for president. When he learned, and we now know this from Michael Cohen, when he learned that Gwen Stefani, if that's her correct name, was being paid more than he was for her reality show. I think America's Got Singing or something like that. When he learned that she was making more money than he was from NBC, he got together with his people, with Michael Cohen and and a couple of buddies, and said, how can we convince NBC that I'm a bigger star than she is and they should pay me more? And, you know, pick up the franchise for another half a decade or so. And they thought, well, you know, do something splashy. 
you know, announce that you're running for president as a Republican. And so they hired a bunch of people for $50 an hour to be there and applaud him and hold signs. He came down the elevator. He gave a completely off the top of his head speech because he wasn't seriously planning on running for president. He expected that, you know, his goal was within 48 hours to have NBC say to him, oh, no, 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 don't run for president. We'll give you more money. Do apprentice. That's making us money. We want more of that. And then, yeah. A, NBC didn't take the bait, and B, they had already scheduled two events to make it look like a real event, and they had already hired actors for those two events. But so many more people than just the actors showed up that it blew Trump's mind. And he was like, whoa, this is fun. He got to give these you know, speeches to these cheering crowds. And so after those two were done, this was supposed to be the whole enchilada, right? The, the rollout and the two rallies. After those were done, he was like, I want to keep doing this. This is fun. Not that he wanted to be president. He never wanted to be president. He didn't even have an acceptance speech written. He wasn't planning on being president. Unfortunately for him, the people around him wanted him to be president, the Republicans and the, and the other billionaires, because they figured he'd get them the tax cuts and the, and the deregulation that they wanted. And so, you know, he became president unintentionally. So, yeah, he should have known that the scrutiny was coming. He did know the scrutiny was coming. He thought, there's no way in hell I'm going to become president. I mean, he literally did not have an acceptance speech written. So, yeah, but, would, but would he be interested in being scrutinized but having it uh, come to pass that people see him as a crook? No, and this is why he's. This is why he has fought releasing his tax returns, even though he promised in the campaign that if he was elected, he would release them. It's why he has people swearing loyalty oaths. It's why he has people signing non-disclosure agreements. It's why he keeps threatening yeah. to sue people. It's why he wanted to get Brett Kavanaugh on the court because Kavanaugh thinks that presidents can't be interrogated. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, you know, it's yeah. You know, the logical extension of what you're pointing out, Dan, is what we're seeing played out right now. Dan, thanks a lot for the call, Lewis in Salisbury. North Carolina. Lewis, what's the station you're listening on? I'm on cable right at this moment. Oh, okay. And I tell you, man, I just want to give you, you know, kudos, shout out to you, you and your staff, because you're very most informative. You know, you look at the other networks now on cable, on television, the media is really like focused on what Trump's doing and all the rallies and everything. And it blocks all the other stuff that you can't see what they are doing. I called in to talk about Kavanaugh, but all the information you gave me today is mind-blowing or mind-boggling to me because it's so much that the Trump administration is doing with the Kavanaugh thing, with the FBI investigation, which is really a fake background interview. But I look at that if they would have questioned Kavanaugh, he would have perjured himself. And at the same time, what Miss Ford really needs is date time, and place. And they know if they would have got them to speak, I think the statute in Maryland for assault and rape cases are, I think, is unlimited, correct? It is now. It wasn't then. So you can't prosecute somebody for something that happened before the law was changed. Wow. Yeah. So it they really can't. actually probably be nothing that anyone can do at this moment. But That's vote. correct. That's correct. You know, yeah. Democrat. And let's see what we can do to lease offset what they're trying to do because like you stated today about the epa he already shown the the fruit of the tree that he's from yeah yeah well said yep i absolutely lewis i agree thank you for the call steve in zimmerman minnesota hey steve what's up hey tom glad to talk to you again i'm just wondering since 
Mitch McConnell's been able to change so many rules over the years, mm. including the amount of votes you need for confirmation. Right, Couldn't a new speaker change the rules to say it's just a simple majority to impeach? No, because that's in the Constitution. That would require a constitutional amendment. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. You know, keep thinking, Steve. But that's a different kind of rule. Steve, thanks a lot for the call. Kathy in Crystal Lakes, Illinois. Hey, Kathy, what's up? Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm um, great. Good. I have a new name for the Republican Party. Okay. Stay with me here. Don't bleep me. I call it the POS, which stands Uh-oh. for the Party of Sociopaths. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Stay with me. Because they know exactly what their policies are. They know that their policies are hurtful. They just don't care. Yeah. They don't care. They have, these people have no souls. They call themselves Christians. We still have over, what, 15,000 immigrant children who are still who are being moved in the dead of night. So much was going on during the Kavanaugh thing, but everybody was focused on Brett Kavanaugh. Yep. And the Trump I administration mean, understood that. They work oh, the news cycle like nobody's business. That's amazing. Totally. You know what's scary, though, is, you know, I'm, you and I are the same age. And I got my start in television news in 1975. I worked in local news. I worked in network news. I've never seen anything quite like this except going back to, I was talking to my partner the other night, and it's like Civil War stuff. I mean, it, in terms of the division that's going on, this cultural division that I don't know how we come back from this. Yeah. It, I really don't. It is startling and disheartening. There is yeah. some really serious damage being done. I agree. With regard and to names, I'd say GOP, greedy old patriarchs. How's that? Greedy old patriarchs. I like that. <laughs> okay. Like that. Kathy, I want to get one greedy, quick... Greedy old psychos. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a good one, too. Thank you so much for the call. Trinidad in Ingleside, Texas. Hey, Trinidad, what's up? We got a minute. Yes. Two things real quick. The first one is women that are complaining a lot of what's happening. You know what? They got what they voted for. That's, they voted for that man, and they got him, okay? Yeah. And the second thing is that when they get ready to drink that red Kool-Aid, make sure that Trump and Kavanaugh are in line, because if not, you'll drink the damn Kool-Aid, and they're going to be there standing there laughing because you drank the damn Kool-Aid. You what do you mean what by I drink mean the Kool-Aid? The Kool-Aid. Maybe you're not as old as I am. I'm 78 years old. I remember old. Jim Jones and the Kool-Aid, you know, that killed everybody, exactly, if that's what you're talking exactly, about. Exactly. And exactly. So you're saying that I mean. people who vote Republican are Kool-Aid drinkers? They've been watching Fox Ex- News? Well, not necessarily all the Republicans, but, but most of them, especially yeah. those women. Yeah, uh, I agree, Trinidad. I agree. And we do need to set aside the Kool-Aid. But, you know, I mean, Fox News is pouring it out by the gallon. Hour after hour after hour, all funded by billionaire Rupert Murdoch. And, you know, the billionaires are really like, they're solidly in control of the media. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Super Beets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Super Beats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels. 
giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Super Beats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. Welcome back. Let's check in with Talk Media News, find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, a new book by Ellen Ratner. On the line with us is the old goat herself, uh, as she proudly calls herself, That's Ellen Ratner. Right. Uh, I am the old goat. Okay, we, are, we are the same so, age, Ellen, so I, <laughs> I, I cringe <laughs> so a little bit when I say too. that, okay. but hey, I'm an old goat, too. Okay, what's up? Okay, so now we have Hurricane Michael which, as you know, is hitting the, uh, the Florida ha- uh, panhandle. As we now, speak. it's very interesting. Category 5 storms are at 157 miles per hour. This is 150 miles per hour, so it's only 7 miles per hour less than what a Category 5 would be. And just by the way, Hurricane Katrina, which I participated in afterwards in 2005, was actually a, uh, a, a, a Category 5. So it was really, really bad. Um, and they're saying it's too late for people to get out. But anyway, it is what it is, and it's going to cause enormous problems, honestly, in terms of electricity, et cetera. Yeah. Now, also, um, Mr. Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, who was a Republican, was an independent. He is registered as a Democrat. And he's also given $20 million, that's million dollars, to the Democratic Party. Now, I think he's running for president because he has not been very complimentary uh, to Donald Trump. I agree. And I think that he is clearly running for president. But yeah. that's it. Yeah, he's, I mean, there's a billionaire in the White House right now. Bloomberg is looking at that going, hmm, first billionaire. I could be the second. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think he has a chance, but I think that he. I, don't either, I think but, he has a big chance. He in, thinks he has a chance. Right. You know, I always say a senator looks in the mirror and they see the next president of the United States. I, exactly. I, I think that probably what he should be doing or thinking about doing is primarying Mario Cuomo next time around. But you know, what do I know? I, I don't live in New York, so. Now there was a recent study that says that millennials are not going to primary care doctors. They're going to these urgent care places because they don't want to wait around. So they are seen very quickly at urgent care places, and so they're not going to primary doctors. That's interesting. Now, also, the president, by the way, uh, had his people speak to the Saudis. They uh, urged them to be transparent about this killing in Turkey. Uh, but I'm on, I, I just, for your information, I'm on the American Advisory Board of Reporters Without Borders, mm-hmm. and we have said that there are over 15 bloggers and journalists who have not been heard from, we have no idea what happened to them, who are Saudi Arabian. Wow. So this might not be the only kill. It's an alleged killing right now, but if, if it is true, killing. it might not be the only, only journalist who has been killed by the Saudis. Now, of course, it's interesting. It's Turkey, which is not exactly terrific towards journalists. But right. <laughs> you know, yeah, Erdogan has his own problems, but I think he's just PO'd about the sovereignty issue. I mean, this was not in an embassy. This was a consulate. Consulates are not, this is, was not Saudi land, and Turkey has the right to go in and, and do whatever they want there. I don't know about the ambassador's uh, residence. Do you know if, the, if that's considered sovereign? I don't, you know, I don't know the law. I mean, I really don't know the Turkish law or yeah. the international law on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I cover the United Nations, so I should know, but I don't. Um, okay. 
Uh, Israel said that they are going to continue their operations in Syria. They don't care that Russia has missiles. They're very concerned about it, and they're going to continue on their operations. Also, Senator Rand Paul, remember him? (laughs) He is now saying that he is worried that there's going to be an assassination, that he's very concerned about violence. Uh, that uh, even if a thousand people express their opinions, one of those thousand people could possibly go after somebody. Wait a minute. There's already been violence. I mean, you know, the right wingers killed Heather Heyer already. Uh, You know, how many how many more people is Rand Fall afraid that the right wingers are going to kill? Well, I guess they're coming after his family. I don't know. Oh, you know, no, these these poor, pathetic Republican snowflakes, you know, they they look at Maxine Water and they go, oh, my God, black people. And and then Fox goes hyperbolic on all this. And well, you know, what's really interesting uh, is that they in California, they take away children from black families who are using cocaine or uh, some other Mm. drug, but they don't do it with white families. Really? Yeah. Whoa. I'm just investigating that. Yeah, as we send, me, send me a link on that story. I, I will. Well, there's no link yet, but wait till I write about it. Okay. okay. Um, now, uh, also, what's very interesting is that Canada is now going to probably legalize marijuana. They say, basically, that they want the taxes. Yeah. And so uh, they're going to legalize it. People are smoking it anyhow, so why not get the taxes? Yeah, I, th- I thought they'd already legalized it. It just hadn't taken effect yet. It was supposed to take effect this well, month or next. Well, they legalized it. Yeah, I think they have, and it, it, it happens in November or December. But yeah. the fact is, is that they want to collect taxes, which is why they're doing it. Sure. Now, also, Donald Trump wrote an op-ed in the USA Today. And oh, I, I know. I, I marked this all up. I was going to do a major rant about it in the third hour of the oh, show. okay. So it's rant. obscene. <laughs> it is criminal what, uh, you know, what Trump said in USA Today. And they're out there promoting it on Twitter. I retweeted the USA Today thing and said, you know, why is this company, you know, allowing Donald Trump to publish lies in their newspaper? Well, I think that's because there are certain people that are able to connect with the news media and get it in the news media. Yeah. But Trump in this in this article, he said that the Democrats want to destroy Medicare and Medicaid and he's going to defend. Basically also said he said the truth is the centrist Democratic Party is dead. Can you imagine? Yeah. And he called it the uh, the party of open border. I mean, he just went, it was just lie after lie after lie. Ellen, uh, always great talking with you. Thanks so much, Ellen Ratner. Thank you. Thank you. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News, uh, author of Loving What You Do. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Bill in Shawnee, Kansas. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Do you think Trump's performance art, the faces and the gestures and the jokes at his rallies, is it ever going to become stale to the base? No, no. And, and he's very good at it. He's a, he's a very good performer. And that's why mm-hmm. he's president right now. Ronald Reagan was a good performer, too. I think these people have bought into a cult of personality. And if you look at the history, I lived in Germany for a year and I knew I literally knew some old Nazis. I mean, elderly mm-hmm. Nazis who were still Nazis. And I knew elderly Nazis who were embarrassed Nazis. And I knew elderly Nazis who were, you know, never again, you know, whatever. And what I learned from that experience, and I have a good friend who is Japanese, I mean, you know, from Japan, right? He came, lived in the United States for five years. He's back in Japan. Louise and I have stayed at his home. And talking to him about his parents' generation, he's, he's more my age, so he wasn't there for Tojo. But 
In both cases, the people bought into the cult being sold by Tojo in Japan and Hitler in Germany. Enough of the people bought into it that the country basically had become seized by a cult. And the only way you can deprogram an entire nation from a cult is essentially to destroy it because they believed in the infallibility of Hitler and Tojo. They believed that these guys were absolutely right and they had the answer to every problem. And it wasn't until they were defeated in war that they figured out that it was wrong. I would argue that similarly, there was a cult that Warren Harding brought into the United States in 1920 when he ran for president on the platform of dropping the top tax rate from 91% or 75% down to 25%, deregulating business and deregulating and privatize was his agenda. Sure. And that that cult was really bought into the roaring 20s, even though average working people didn't see an income increase, the rich got fabulously richer and everybody thought the country was doing really, really well during the 20s. And then when right. that bubble burst in 1929, the cult, the Republican cult, which had completely seized the country. I mean, Republicans controlled this country from end to end and, and controlled all three branches of the federal government, everything, right? And when that bubble burst, the American people said, holy cow, we were snookered. And that's what it takes to get people out of a cult. They have to be able to step away from it and look back and say, wow, I didn't realize at that point in time that I was just, you know, I had bought into this. And that's what it's going to take to deprogram the Trump cult. And as long as they've got Fox News and right-wing hate radio run by billionaires feeding them constantly cult material, it's gonna take, it's gonna take something really, really dramatic to break this thing up, Bill, uh, more than just an election. Bill, thanks for the call, it's a great question and one that we don't think about or, or do anything about uh, often enough. Thanks so much for being with us today. Let's all keep our thoughts and prayers for the, and I realize it's a cliche, but I mean it sincerely and genuinely for the people in Florida. I prayed for them as I was walking in this morning. This uh, horrible storm made horrible by ExxonMobil and, and the other fossil fuel industries is going to destroy a lot of people's lives. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Democracy is not a spectator sport. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.